I'm really thankful that Bob was the lay leader today because I didn't know how to pronounce those two words, so I appreciate it. I can preach now, so I appreciate that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that uh, we get to gather here. We get to not only enjoy the friendship and the community that you offer, but we get to enjoy uh, friendship and community with you, Father. Uh, We get to worship you and we get to experience your presence and your peace. And I just pray that right now, Father, for all of us that we would rest in these moments. That's what I've been challenging our, our students and our college students to Uh, Take the opportunity over spring break to really rest and let your soul get quiet for a moment and be still and know that God is good and he's loving and his peace surpasses all understanding. So as we explore your word and we talk about your word today, Father, I pray we do it from a place of rest and of confidence in you and in your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start today by offering you an invitation I want to invite you, before we begin looking at Exodus 14, to, I want to invite you to place yourself in this story. I want to invite you to think about your friends and your family, those that you love and that you care about, and I encourage you to place them in the details of this story. I want to caution you not to just look at Exodus 14, 5 through 14 as just a historic event that happened to a group of people a long, long time ago. I caution you not to limit this story to simply that. Because what we're looking at today, uh, this story has cosmic, eternal consequences. Significant consequences, not just for the people then, but for us today. Because God was not only rescuing Israel from Egypt during the Exodus, he was also protecting our future salvation. Because if Pharaoh would have been successful in destroying Israel in the moment of rage, our future Savior would have never been born. So the acts and the protection of God for Exodus were not just for his people Israel, it was for his people for all time. So I just encourage you, not to limit this just to historic act, but to, to place yourself, your friends, your loved ones in this moment and realize that God was protecting you just as much as he was protecting the Israelites. Now again, before we get into the scripture, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a day that just started out great? Just, a, just an amazing day. And then out of nowhere, it takes a, a horrible left turn into a brick wall. Is, any, any, is that just me? Anybody else have one of those days? Right. So imagine it's, it's kind of like this. You, you, you wake up, you've had eight glorious hours of sleep. I, don't, I can't remember the last time that happened for me. So you wake up, eight glorious hours of sleep. You wake up, you stretch, you're feeling good. You eat your Wheaties. Uh, you get ready for work. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. Uh, you get ready to leave. You kiss your wife and your kids goodbye. Uh, you're walking out. You're skipping down the driveway. Oh, it's going to be a good day. Anybody had one of those? You woke up feeling good? It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And then your car won't start. Can I get an amen on that one? Or, or you have a flat tire, right? That's way worse. Amen. Or you just realize that it's Monday, right? 
And what started out as just an amazing day full of enthusiasm and confidence quickly deteriorates into frustration and questions of, why me, oh Lord? Why me? Well, if you've experienced a day like that, you have a little bit of insight about what was going on in the minds of the Israelites in this, in this Exodus story. They had just witnessed, let's get our minds right, they had just witnessed God go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and win. They had just watched God release ten plagues that wrecked havoc on Egypt. All the while they were set apart. There was a distinction made between them. And then finally they hear these words. You may go. You have been released from 400 years of slavery. And they get the joy of walking out of town in a great exodus of freedom. Now, here's the, here's the, the kicker. They, they didn't just leave town empty-handed. Let's look at Exodus 12, verses 35 through 36. It says this. It says, The Israelites had done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and of gold and, of, and for clothing. And the Lord had given them the people favor inside of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And so they plundered the Egyptians. Now let's get our minds right about it. Let's just, just think about that. You have been released from 400 years of slavery. I just want you to imagine the fist pumps and, and the chest bumps and the, and the laughter and the bear hugs as you're walking out of town after 400 years of slavery. And not only you walk out of town witnessing all that God has rescued you from, but you're witnessing God finance your future. He's done all of these great acts to release you, uh, to empower, to make a distinction between you and Egypt. And then you're walking out of town and you're like, uh, are, are you going to use that, that oxen cart? Okay, no, I'll, I'll take that off your hands. Oh, or do you need that gold bracelet? No, okay, thank you, I'll take that. And God is not only releasing you, but he's making an investment in your future to make sure you're cared for going forward. Just imagine the kind of love and affirmation and empowerment and emboldening you would feel as you're leaving town. And it's about that moment that it takes a left turn into a brick wall. See, in that moment, for reasons that, that the Israelites really couldn't understand, it seemed like their, their, their leader, Moses, had no idea where he was going. As far as they could see, he was just wandering aimlessly, through, through, the, through the desert. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know what was, what was happening, what his plan was. And then suddenly, for, for what made no sense, Moses all of a sudden decided for them to turn back and camp where they had never planned or had any intentions of camping. And to make matters even worse, as they're setting up their tents and getting settled in, they look up on the horizon and they see Pharaoh and the army of Egypt bearing down on them. Now you would think, after everything they had witnessed, that the Israelites would have responded faithfully and said, oh, our God's got this. But we, we know that, that that is absolutely not 
how they responded. Let's, let's remind ourselves how they responded in Exodus 14, 10 through 12. It says, in great fear. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now let me translate that for you, what, essentially what they're saying. Essentially they're accusing God of being limited in power or he's cruel. They're pointing their finger at God. They're looking at their circumstances saying, God is either limited in his capacity to protect us or he's cruel because he freed us only to have us be killed in the wilderness. In essence, what they're saying is, yeah, God could save us from slavery and he had all these great plagues and he had this mighty Passover event that he rescued us from. And yeah, we walked out with gold and silver, but now we're all going to die. So why, why, could, why would that happen? I think we need, to, we need to explore that. How could that happen? How could a group of people witness all of the miraculous acts that the Israelites witness and then so quickly turn to hopelessness and despair? How could that happen? Well, I'll tell you one reason that it happened is because they judged their circumstances instead of looking for a savior. They allowed what was happening around them to tell them what was true rather than trusting that God would be faithful. I love what Leo G. Cox, he's a theologian, what he said about this situation. He said, how often faith weakens just when God is getting ready to do his greatest work. How often faith weakens just as God is getting ready to do his greatest work. Because here, here's the sad part of the story. What the people of Israel did not realize is that they were exactly where God wanted them to be. They were exactly, this situation that we talked about up here with children's time, the rock and the hard place between the sea and the angry army of Egypt, that is exactly where God wanted his people to be. Now, let, let, let me, if, you, if you don't believe me, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Let, let me make my point. Let's look back at uh, Exodus 14.9. It says this. It said, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers, his army. They overtook them, camped by the Sea of Paharoth in front of Baal Zephon. Okay? So are we there? That, that's, where, that's where the Pharaoh and his army found the Israelites. Now let's go back to the beginning of chapter 14 of, of, of Exodus, verses 1 through 4. Let's see what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Heroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall camp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness is closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all of his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they 
did so. The Israelites and the Egyptians were exactly where God intended for them to be. God had set the stage for this event. Now, a crucial question for us to understand and for us to explore is why would he do that? Why would he take his children who he loves and put them in a situation where they're trapped between the sea and an angry army? One of the answers is easy for us to find. It's actually in verse 4 that we read there in Exodus. It was for his glory and so that Egypt would know that he is the Lord. Now, don't skip over that. God loved the Egyptians so much that he wanted to make sure that it was clear to them that he was the one true God. That act was an evangelistic act on God's part to declare that he was the one true God. He loved them so much he wanted to do almost anything to make sure that they didn't continue to worship these false and dead idols. That maybe in this great act of this great expression of power beyond the, the plagues in Egypt, they might see and know and put their faith in the one true God. That's pretty powerful in and of itself. But I think there's a much, much deeper reason uh, that God set this up. We need to remember, we need to remind ourselves that the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years. So for generation after generation after generation after generation, these slaves had been told what to do, when to do it, and what was to be done next. And even after their rescue from slavery, it was, it's abundantly clear that the Israelites were addicted to the comfort that consistency provides. And consistency is, is, is a very dangerous thing. Consistency is, in fact, it's a, it's a sedative that all of us, can too easily get addicted to. In order for us to be people of faith, we must be willing to walk the edge between the known and the unknown. Many times the walk of faith is not consistent. It is not predictable. And so I believe that, the, that God leading the Israelites into a situation where they didn't know how it was gonna work out was a great act of compassion on God's part. And let me, let me illustrate that with a story. Uh, most of you guys know I have this super cute little girl, Kara. She's two and a half. She's got these little glasses and these uh, big blue eyes that are really hard to say no to. Well, we have this game that we play. And I played this game with Channon too, but he's, he's a big boy now, so it's a lot harder. You'll understand in a second. So we play this game, and here's how the game works. Every once in a while, I'll be carrying Kara around in my arms, and, and we'll walk by a counter, or we'll uh, walk by the changing table, and I'll take her, and I'll have her stand on the counter, or stand on the changing table. And I'll take about a half a step back, and then I'll hold up my arms, and I'll say, jump. And Kara, almost every time, will nervously smile and say, I fall. And what do I say as her dad? You won't fall. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And so she shuffles her feet and kind of nervously smiles. And most of the time, she jumps into my arms and I catch her and I hold her. And then we move on with our day. Now, why do I do that as a dad? Do I do that because 
I want her to be afraid of falling? No. I do that because I want to develop in my daughter an abiding trust that I will always catch her. But here's the key. The only way that she can develop a trust in me that I will catch her is if she's put in a circumstance where she has to jump. It's the only way that she'll learn that I'll catch her. If she's placed in a circumstance to where she has to believe in my ability to catch her and then jump and have that belief affirmed. That is in essence what is going on in the Red Sea event. Without hopeless situations, God cannot offer us hope. Otherwise, why would we need it? Desperate times are opportunities for hope to shine. Let me say that again. Desperate times are an opportunity for hope to shine. God developed this desperate opportunity so that his hope might shine in front of his children. God was creating an environment where Israel would have to jump, trusting God to catch them. You see, God didn't want a relationship with Israel like Israel had with Pharaoh. God wanted a relationship built on trust, not control. And so that meant that he had to develop within the nation of Israel a faith in God that allowed them to trust him even if they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I love, again, what theologian Leo G. Cox says about these circumstances. He says, all the time Israel was fearing that God had let them down, he was working out his purpose. All the time that Israel was fearing that God had let them down, he was working out his purpose. How often do we do the same thing? How often do we get frustrated and discouraged and hopeless when all the while God is working out his purpose in our lives? And so uh, our next step for today, I want to just encourage you, I want to invite you to, to take a few moments to examine your life. To think about what you're hopeless about right now. To think about what you might be frustrated about right now. And just ask yourself, could this be a situation that God orchestrated to help me trust him and jump? Because you can either complain or you can count on God, but you can't do both. So which will you choose? Let's pray.